Today's episode of Anything is Potable is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how you stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, you are now tuned into Anything's Potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause like Paul Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on The Athletic Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined, <laughs> as always, by the kid, the legend, El Nino himself, Jay King, beat reporter for The Athletic. So covering the Boston Celtics, he is uh, still in quarantine from his Somerville apartment. And today we are joined by special guest continuing our interview series of guys we know on the Celtics beat. Uh, Tom Westerholm from MassLive.com. Tom, how are you doing? I'm just honored to be a guy you guys know. Hey, there's not that many people that Jay and I both know. And uh, <laughs> most of them are also cover the Celtics. Most of them are... Uh, don't have much to do now that basketball is canceled, and so we figured, why not talk to guys we know? We like those guys. They're fun to talk to. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, man. So, uh, in terms of the news um, that's Celtic-specific, I think the only new thing is that all the tests have come back, and only Marcus Smart uh, has tested positive. So, I think that is generally good news from uh, everything else we've heard, and just also kind of terrifying because... Everyone's all in course, close quarters, and you don't know who's going to get the virus, and you don't know who's not, and it, it's just a scary, confusing world we live in. It's been kind of cool. It's good to see that nobody else got it, obviously, just because I think part of that means that they, you know, everybody was putting out their little messages on Twitter and everything saying, stay inside, stay inside, and it does kind of feel like people are following that, which is good to know. Like, you know, these these guys were you know, exposed to hundreds and hundreds of people every single night, you know, for a long time. But as soon as they were able to shut down, it feels like they've done so, which is good, obviously. Jay, your thoughts? The more we get in, the more we get into this, the crazier it is that the NBA played as long as it did. Yeah. And that they were going to keep playing until one of the players tested positive. Because we need to be away from people. Doctors knew we needed to be away from people, and these players were playing in front of 20,000 people, and the fans were all together every night. And right up at, like until a few days before it happened, we were interviewing these people in the locker room, and it's just it's kind of wild how much has shifted and how quickly it shifted. It it I don't know. It, it's just hard to wrap your head around the fact that like a couple weeks ago the NBA was still playing games. The thing that's wild is in terms of like institutional responses to a pandemic, it feels like NBA was, uh, at least in the United States, was one of the first to kind of start slowing things down or canceling things, uh, especially compared to, uh, let's say, government agencies. But we don't need to get necessarily into all that. But like they seem to be like the first one that like the first domino uh, which is kind of wild because, yeah, there's just no way that uh, people should have been like gathering in giant arenas and then just or just being in such close quarters, like basically report like the 
behind the scenes at an NBA game is just like a bunch of people walking around just all over each other. And it's just kind of it'd be a terrible place uh, for this to happen. It's kind of wild because two like two weeks ago, you know, maybe a little bit more, the advice that players were getting was, hey, uh, maybe fist bump instead of high fiving, or maybe like when you touch everybody's hand on your way out, just like close your hand so that it's not, you know, quite so contagious. Like, you know, two weeks later, every time I go to the grocery store and I literally touch anything, I'm changing my clothes, I'm throwing all the clothes in the wash as soon as I get back. Like the the just the shift over that period of time where the NBA was saying, like, here's these half measures, here's these little things you can do, and to, to now where it's just full-blown, you know, everything's shut down, the NBA's shut down. It, it really has been kind of a wild two weeks that way. Yeah, I mean, 20,000 people were crammed into arenas, and now it's like you need to be at least six feet away from every single person in life. <laughs> I remember watching players give, like, autographs to random strangers during, like, pregame before the Jazz game. It's just like, that is seems like a horrible policy. <laughs> The last game the Celtics played before the shutdown, at least the last home game they played before the shutdown, I watched Javante Green go into the stands and literally dap up like 50 kids, like just a whole line of kids who were all there for for like Jalen Brown's, one of Jalen Brown's programs. Javante goes into the stands and just high fives every single one of them. And yeah, now like I'm nervous to say hi to my wife when she gets home. <laughs> and by then... The NBA was actually getting a little smarter. Like they weren't allowing fans on the court. They weren't. They right. were telling players not to give autographs, not to touch anybody, not to post for pictures. And guys were still doing that. <laughs> like, thank God they shut down. They needed to shut down so badly. And I, I like Sam said, it, it was kind of a domino effect. And now here we are in quarantine. Tom, how how have you spent quarantine? A lot of lot of. Exercise with Rafi. I, I saw you doing some some yeah, jumps man. at the crib. Well, yeah, we're working on we're on getting his bounce up. Uh, you know, he's two, so his vertical inch is about you know an inch and a half. Uh, so we're trying to get to that two inch mark. Um, That's about yeah. my peak. <laughs> yeah. I was in peak condition. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've been hanging out. Obviously, I have a two year old, so he and I have been hanging out a lot. Um, I, I think. In our profession, we're kind of I think we're kind of lucky because there especially right now, there still are stories that we can that we can write about. So, you know, I definitely feel lucky that I'm still able to work. I'm still able to, you know, be able to get some stuff done. Um, and yeah, but just a little bit of work trying to trying to stay active here at home, working on projects. It's it's been quiet. I've also been playing entirely too much 2K, way more 2K than I usually play. But that's uh, yeah, that's pretty much the rundown. It's, it's been quiet, which I think is kind of the goal for everybody right now i hadn't played 2k in probably eight years <laughs> and now i'm now i'm back i'm i'm back in the 2k mode i am uh i started a a nice little my league and mm -hmm. i have I, I chose the knicks got which is the, just a dumb choice why would you choose the worst franchise in all the sports because then you make them great again and get all Maga the glory J. King. from it Make the next no, so I, 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 w I went back and, and started over the uh, the offseason and signed. I drafted Zion, signed Kawhi, signed Chris Middleton, traded for JJ Redick, uh, Buddy Heald, and uh, Bogdanovich. And, you got yourself such a squad over there. Yeah, it really and, it really makes you wonder why the Knicks didn't just draft Zion Williamson and sign Chris Middleton. I feel like they'd be a lot better if they and had. And Kawhi. <laughs> and Kawhi, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. 
when you really think about it, if I had been GM, the Knicks would be in a much, much different place today. So, Do you want to take in, us I'm, through game by game and tell us how your results have been? I'll just say I'm in the playoffs, just swept the first round, no big deal. Ooh, are and you playing all 82? No, so I'm playing 14-game seasons uh-huh. and, and play, playing every each of the 14 games, and then now I'm in the playoffs playing all those games. I'm... I've become good again. I've become too good though. I've uh I, I've truly like computer computers just no problem for me anymore. You know you so can I, raise the difficulty settings of the computer. Yeah, but I kinda like smacking them around <laughs> at pro. <laughs> we uh we started a my league with I started my league with a couple of buddies and we redrafted, you know, every team. Like we did a fantasy draft where every team uh, you know, just got completely new players. Um, so my team had one of the first picks. So I have Anthony. My two main guys are uh, Anthony Davis and Fred Van Vliet, which works super Respect. well. Like it is an awesome duo. Like because Van Vliet just scoots around, gets wherever he wants. He can shoot. Although Van Vliet is the most disrespected guy in that game. What is he like a seventy-eight? I don't know, but he's really easy to play with. He's a ninety-five I, uh, in your heart, Jay. He's a ninety-five on my court. He's nasty. The guy's a seventy-eight. The guy's a yeah. seventy-eight. In yeah, my league, Zach Randolph got signed by some team, and he's like a 76 or 77, and Fred Van Vliet's a 78. Yeah, Anthony Simons is I a was, 71, and, and Fred Van Vliet's a 78, yeah. I was infuriated. Infuriated. Put some respect on Fred Van Vliet. Well, you'll be happy to know that I'm putting a lot of respect and about 25 points per game on uh, Fred Van Vliet these days. So, respect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, my league is a good way to spend some time. Now, we got to get a match between you two to see if – Jay is actually good at this game, or he's just playing like beating down we the computer in rookie it. mode. Well, the we problem with it. the the problem is that Jay somehow went out and got Kawhi, Zion Williamson, and Chris Middleton. So I don't <laughs> know that I like my chances with my uh, no, Fred well, Van Vliet led two totally team, different but... teams for this. Uh, match. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll choose two regular teams. All right, and all right. Twitch it. Let Let's yeah. have a Twitch battle. I kind of want this. I am also – I went away from 2K for a long time and got back into it for quarantine. So I, I, think, this is a, I think this is a good idea. This will be a good match. This so tune in to the, the Twitch matchup between um, rivals? I don't know how, how to describe sure. you two. <laughs> Tom, Let's go with rivals. Yeah, I like rivals. I mean, teammates, we're on the same uh, men's league team if that ever comes back. so We, we are on the same men's league team. We got smacked in our last game. That, that's not the way you want to go into quarantine. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Well, now it's going to fuel you for the rest of quarantine to keep working on your games. That is virtually. true. I'm, that, I'm working on like Rocky Rocky workouts from uh, when he was in Russia. Yeah, that's why Rafi and I are out there getting our box jumps in. We're trying to get ready for uh, the next uh, session here. The worst part is there's just like nowhere to get shots up. Like I don't even feel safe going to the going to the neighborhood park. I feel like I just heard today that all all parks are closed. How am I supposed to like just shoot? I don't know what it's like around you guys. I live in Central Mass, and I can't go to the parks because there's people running full court. Like there's like five oh, really? on five. At, yeah, in like in um, I live near Worcester, like in a park near Millbury near my house. It's yeah, people are just out there running five on five, and I I want to go join in, but obviously I'm not going to do that. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a wild scene. That's nuts. That's that's insane. PSA PSA. Don't be those people. There, yeah, don't don't go hoop. Stay if home. I can, if I can keep myself from hooping, important enough. <laughs> if I can keep myself from hooping, you guys all can too. Yeah, stay at home, stay away from people as much as you can. If you need to go to work, obviously you have to go to work. If you need to do something, obviously you need to do it. Basketball is not a need. It feels <laughs> like a need all the time, and it is a tough adjustment to not having basketball. Like 
it is it is awful not having sports <laughs> on TV. The only thing I would do if I was ever home for a extended period of time is watch sports or play sports. And now I miss it. I miss it so fucking bad. <laughs> but but, but I'll, I'll still be smart. I haven't touched a rock in a while. The only the only basketball I've gotten is on my mini hoop. I'm a mini hoop legend these days. But stay home. Stay safe. Please. Uh, not that you guys asked, but I don't. I haven't been playing 2K. I've been playing Backyard Baseball 2001. And let me tell you, the humongous melon heads led by Pete Wheeler and Pablo Sanchez are 9-0 and right now. And they are headed for a matchup against the Wombats in the World Series, which is going to be pretty dope. Um, Barry Bonds is doing amazing. Sammy Sosa leads the league in home runs. I mean, it's just a, an electric team. Angela Del Vecchio leads the league in Ks. It's been kind of fantastic here. Uh, for the melon heads. So I just Pete, thought, Pete Wheeler, the, the king of the undergrounder. Pete Wheeler is like sneaky, might be better than Pablo Sanchez. Like in this new age of analytics, and we talk about on base percentage, that guy, he's batting <laughs> seven, 750 right now, and he's an automatic triple. It's insane. Yeah, that, he's to... the fastest man alive. He's like the Ish Smith of backyard <laughs> baseball. I don't have good backyard baseball takes, but I miss Sammy Sosa. That guy was my favorite athlete like of all time growing up and then he kind of went crazy and growing up in Iowa that is a good segue but before we get to interviewing Tom (laughs) about uh his path from Iowa to NBA beat reporter we have to talk to you guys about Roman I mean if you are in quarantine right now and are having some uh ED issues what better time to consult with an online doctor who can get uh, you a visit within 48 hours, and then, if they determine if you need medicine, can get you medication in another 48 hours. Oh, I got that wrong. Yeah, you can get a doctor in 24 hours, and then medicine in 48 hours. So that's 72 hours from right now, you listening, to all your quarantine problems being solved. I mean, I think it would cheer everyone up in your household if you could solve these issues. And so, if you determine... <laughs> that the treatment is right for you. The pharmacy will ship you medication for free. This is all for free. And then you get unlimited free follow-ups with your doctor at any time for any questions, or if you want to adjust your treatment plan, there are zero commitments. And so if you're struggling with ED, you just want to make your quarantine that much better. You can go to getroman.com slash Celtics for a free online visit and free two day shipping. So that is GetRoman.com slash Celtics for a free online visit, free two-day shipping. Make your quarantine a little bit more fun for you and everyone else in your household. That is GetRoman.com slash Celtics. Maybe not everyone else in your household. Maybe just one <laughs> other person in your household. Depends on your household. I don't know. I don't judge. <laughs> I mean, Roman also helps with people uh, with declining hair loss. So there's a lot of different issues that Roman can help with. Uh, but they, they, they'll have, give you a full screening. Um Two-day shit, it'll be fantastic. Now, Tom, how the hell did you end up a guy growing up in Iowa to professionally covering the Boston Celtics? Let's start first. Like, What made you want to get into journalism? Is that something you started doing in Iowa? How does this happen? Explain to us who is Tom Westerholm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so when I lived in Iowa... When I was in high school and getting into my first year in college, I was really into music, um, played guitar, played in a band, and kind of realized I started taking music classes in college and realized that I hated it and didn't want to do it anymore. So I dropped out of college for three, four years and uh, just did that uh, for a while. I played guitar in a band, um, toured 
country, that kind of thing. What kind of band are we talking here? Uh, we were a really hardcore is the, uh, is, is the definition of it. It's, it's like, uh, like a faster metal band. We, we like to describe it as like, we didn't have a singer. We had a vocalist. Um, so, so did, yeah. did you start mosh pits and shit? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I needed shoulder surgery a couple of years ago because we used to like the shows. I mean, they're like pretty violent. So like, <laughs> like the, the mosh pit itself is sort of like, like for a hardcore show, it's sort of people shoving each other, but it's more people swinging at each other. And I swung my arms at people so much that I like, th- like threw out my shoulder and it got really bad. Um, so wait, yeah, you're needed- throwing punches while playing. No, no, like, you know, oh, while you attend and stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so it was a real heavy band. Um, did that for a while. It's, it, it was really fun and we were pretty good, but there's no money in that particular uh, brand of music. So um, ended up going back to college and kind of along the way, I just, you know, I've, I've always been a huge basketball guy and just kind of along the way, I was just like, maybe I should get into sports journalism. So started uh, blogging, started writing as much as I could. And uh, actually, Jay uh, gave me one of my first shots as a blogger for Celtics Town back in the day. So um, got to know Jay that way, and he helped me get my job at Mass Live, where I currently am. So that's kind of the uh, the overview of it. Jay, do you remember Tom sending you an email and being like, y- yeah, I'm a hardcore so- thrash metal man, uh, but I also <laughs> love analytics. That was on my LinkedIn profile, was guitarist in the hardcore thrash metal man. He he sent me a video of him sparking violent mosh pits. <laughs> I actually do I actually do remember. So it was uh, I was just out of college, and I think I had run Celtics Town for a while. It had been my own personal blog. I had been the only person on it. And one day, I think I got a job with SB Nation, and it was like like 20 hours a week, part-time job. I was a robot. I think I had to write 10 (laughs) stories every four hour shift, which is insane. Like that is doing these posts. And I I didn't have as much time as I used to. I was covering high school sports for ESPN Boston and a couple other places. And so I needed to find some help for Celtics town. And so I put out a, a tweet, I think, and I remember Tom responded. I was like, this guy's fucking good. Like, why the hell does this guy want to write for Celtics Town? <laughs> Tom, <laughs> and, well, uh, let me pause you there, Jay. Why did you want to write for Celtics Town? <laughs> well, I was uh, I was looking for opportunities, and I wanted to write about the Celtics because I followed them pretty closely. Um, and What prompted that yeah. decision? Was it just like the Car- KG era? To follow them? Um, so my dad is from the Northeast, and he was a big Celtics fan. So he, um, you know... Like paid attention constantly, like watched as many games as we could, uh, you know, just followed them a lot. So I was, you know, pretty familiar with them, pretty, uh, uh, pretty engaged with what was going on with them. So, yeah. So I wanted to write about the Celtics and uh, I mean, you know, Jay obviously had a following and was nice enough to bring me on. I was writing for a Timberwolves blog at the time, um, which was kind of the, the closest team to where I was in the, in the Midwest. But yeah, just wanted to kind of wanted to cover a team with a little bit more following than, uh, Timberwolves at the time. So, so how does it were go? Were you a Timberwolves fan? Like, were you a Celtics fan? Were you a Timberwolves fan? How how was, did you grow up? Like, what were your I was, allegiances? I was kind of both. I, I was definitely more of a Celtics fan. Um, just again, like you know, my dad was, um, you know, super into them. But then being able to go see the Timberwolves was pretty fun. So I was a Timberwolves fan as well to an extent. But also, 
it was like the Michael Beasley, Kevin Love era. There was very little to uh, to cheer for. And you still end. used to drive four hours each way to see them. I did, yeah. Like this is this is the thing that people in the Northeast like don't necessarily understand is that four we hours. We don't get in the, this at all. Four hours in the Midwest is nothing. Like that's. I mean, it's not nothing, but it's like if you want to go do anything in a city where I'm from, you have to drive like four hours. Like Minneapolis is the closest city, unless you count like Omaha, which is like two and a half hours. Like, you know, it's like, there's like little cities like that. But if you want to go do something really like fun, like an NBA game or whatever, you're going to be trekking. So yeah, four hours to and from, um, mostly for like the big games where I knew I was going to get to see like Tim Duncan or, you know, like whoever was, was really Michael good Beasley? back in the day. I mean, Michael Beasley was a good Every enough. game was a big game with the bees in town. I mean, Michael Beasley was pretty electric. Uh, not not as a basketball player, but as a uh, very strange individual. But yeah, no, like if, if you wanted to go see somebody, I saw, um, you know, I saw the, the KG Paul Pierce Celtics a couple times, which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, you, uh, you just, you, ma- you made the trek to Minneapolis and just kind of sucked it up. What got you into basketball? I, I don't just care if you're from the Midwest. Driving four hours each way is not <laughs> easy. Like, I, no, I no. It's, the man was touring the country, driving everywhere with his hardcore band. I think he's used to driving. It is true. I, I was pretty used to driving late at night, so that that part didn't uh, affect me too bad. But it, it is no, it's not. It's not nothing. But it is just kind of a reality you get used to. Is like if you're uh, if you want to get anywhere, you're going to have to drive. Now, I'm, what got you into basketball? Because I'm imagining high school Tom with, like, some tattoos, maybe, like, <laughs> hanging out uh, with the, the, the grunge or, like, kids in – I just – I don't imagine you as a hooper if you're also being hardcore. Maybe I'm just being ignorant and making a lot of assumptions. He is a hooper. Stereotypes. He is a hooper. I mean, I he know a you're hooper. a natural hooper, and I've played with you now. It's just, like, like, what made you say, like, this is something I want to pursue and drive four hours for? At what point did you make that decision? Well, the driving four hours thing was just for fun. That was just like something me and my dad I know, but, did, at, but at some point you were like, I'm blogging about this. Right, I want to like right. commit like free time to basketball. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I always loved basketball growing up. Like, obviously I was like any other kid going through grade school and middle school where I was like, I'm going to play in the NBA someday. Um, and then, you know, got to high school. I played for a couple of years and wasn't very good yet, um, which was Ooh, one, of, like one of my yet in there. Well, you know, I got the, the problem is I got like pretty good at basketball after I got out of high school, which was really disappointing because it was like, oh, well, now I'm, you know, never going to be able to play organized basketball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it in high school, but I focused more on, on music, on like learning guitar and that kind of thing. And then got out of high school and, and still just really loved watching, really loved playing um, basketball. And, you know, we on, on tour, we would find basketball courts all the time to play you know, two on two, three on three with everybody in the band. Like it was, uh, it was definitely something that I, that I kept up with. And, you know, I just, as I watched more and more basketball, I just was like, is there any way that I can still turn this into a career? And so I tried. And so you, you talk to Jay, Jay's like, come on board. How do you go from Celtics town, the blog to moving to Massachusetts? <laughs> so I covered the Celtics for Jay for a while. Um, and then if I remember, I think Jay sort he didn't like shut the doors on Celtics Town, but he like, you know, was sort of scaling back operations. I ended up um, working with uh, Brian Robb uh, at Celtics Hub for a while. And all the while I was going back to school, I was going back for sports journalism. Um, I was working at newspapers um, in the area, both the, the college paper and then the Northwest Iowa Review. Shout out the Northwest Iowa Review. Um, covering like high school sports? Covering high school. Yep. Yep. And uh just kind of got reps that way. 
And along the way, I got I finally graduated college and realized it's really hard to get any sports writing job in the country, um, especially one with any upward mobility whatsoever. So when I saw Mass Live, Jay was in for Mass Live at the time, um, as was his his brother Tommy, who I also kind of knew just through like, circles and Twitter circles and that kind of thing. So Tommy um, Hot Takes, my God, Tom uh, <laughs> is the hottest takes in the league, and I love every single one of them. Hot Takes, good dude. The King Brothers both uh, really helped me get a part time job at Mass Live. Um, so I moved from Iowa to Massachusetts and uh, started doing high school sports for Mass Life. Yeah, I, I remember that because I, <laughs> I was I knew we were looking for part time guys. I, I remember having a conversation with you like, Tom, <laughs> you sure you'd want to like move across the country for like 25 hours a week or 30 hours a week or whatever it was? And you were like, yeah, well, yeah, I do. I mean, it yeah, was it was really and it was bleak the best trying to find made. jobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was bleak trying to find jobs because I mean I was applying for just about any full time job I could find and just nothing for somebody just out of school who's only you know whose only experience was the Northwest Iowa Review like because most newspapers don't. I can't imagine there were a lot work. of sports writing jobs in Iowa. That's yeah. I mean for sure, but I also wasn't trying to be in Iowa. You know, I was trying to become an NBA writer. So yeah, like. I, I had an offer from the paper that I was working at to do full-time work on the, the review. And I just, you know, I could see myself if I did that 10 years down the road, still working in Sheldon, Iowa, and, uh, you know, not ever really going anywhere. And I just didn't really want that. So I wanted to go to a place that I knew had professional sports teams that I knew, you know, I might get like real reps working for them. And, um, yeah, I mean, Mass Live hired me and that was, uh, was a, I mean, it was a risk on their part too. Like they, you know, they took a chance on, on a guy that was, was moving halfway across the country. Like they didn't know who I was or anything like that. So yeah, they, uh, it, it was, I, I, I really needed the, uh, the recommendation of the King brothers because I wasn't getting anything on my own. And then they were, uh, they were nice enough. To no, you did it. Anyway. All I did was have to give him a couple of links and he was like, yeah, uh, good. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's have this guy. Move across the country. To be fair, moving across the country probably wasn't even that big a deal for you because you were like, oh, yeah, this is like a 20-minute drive from Iowa to Boston. No big deal. <laughs> well, but it was also something that I kind of knew was going to happen. Like, I knew I was going to need a uh, – I, I knew I was going to need a big move. I knew I wasn't stuck in uh, in uh, Iowa forever if I wanted to, to go anywhere with it. So, yeah, it was uh, – I, I knew I was going to have to work my way up, and I just kind of chose that as my starting point. Now, is Rafi Okay. Yeah, how's Rafi doing? Rafi's good. He's about to get some gummies for the uh, sore toe that it, for his, uh, the toe he just stubbed. So. Oh, stubbed toe—that's the worst. Just the worst. Shouts to Rafi. But it got him gummies. He might be—he <laughs> might be stubbing his toe on purpose to get some gummies. <laughs> that's called a grift, my friend. You just got grifted. <laughs> Look, if I can teach this kid to grift, he's going to get so many free throws in high school, and I'm here for it. No, I guess this question's for both of you since you both uh, covered high school sports. But Tom, you seem to have kept up your interest in kind of the youth game, how do you do that? Because I feel like there could be a lot of potential for just some watching some not-so-great basketball. Like, how do you get those reps in and make it feel like you're doing meaningful work covering games that are just not uh, not that important? I mean, so for me, I, I, don't, I can't speak for Jay on this, but I, I actually always felt like those were some of the stories that mattered the most. Because, like, if I write a story about Jalen Brown, it's going to be one of like a hundred stories that are written about Jalen Brown, you know, in like that month or whatever. Like, like, the, you know, NBA players are, are covered and covered and covered and covered. And, and like, it's, it's really fun to do. And the basketball is, is insanely good. But like for a lot of the kids that I was covering, it, 
these were, you know, these are really important stories to them and their families because it's, you know, kind of a seminal moment in their lives. Like if you play high school hoops, it's, you know, it's something that you're going to remember for a long time. And if I'm able to write a really good story about a guy or if I'm able to cover an event really well, um, you know, it's uh, it's a big moment for them. And, and so, you know, it's not obviously it's not like the biggest stage or anything, but I think it's really meaningful for the people that you're writing about. And that was always something that I took a lot of pleasure in was being able to to kind of provide that for people. That was me, too. Like when I was in high school and I always kept this in mind. Like we would all try to get to 10 points in our games, because if you if you scored 10 points, your name would be written about in the paper in, in the write up. <laughs> and so we'd, we'd all know when we got to 10 and we would never like talk about it. But, you would know, when you got to 10, like, OK, OK, I'll, I'll be in the paper now. And and so I always, I always remember that, like it, it was great to wake up in the morning, like have my breakfast before school and see my name in the paper. And so I always remember that when I was when I was covering high school, like like Tom said, like those are super important stories to those kids. And in a lot of cases, that matters so much to the kids and trying to get it right and trying to do a good job on it. Plus, high school kids want to talk to you and high school kids, (laughs) families want to talk to you. And so it was very it's very different in that aspect. Like you can actually write whatever story you dream of. Whereas yeah, are you guys NBA, writing like, gamers, or you were like just going like, take me through you getting assigned to go cover like some high school? Are you just start talking to people? Like, what's do you have like a, a you do some prior research, know what you're going to talk about? I'm just curious about like what the process is. Well, you do a lot go of ahead, gamers. Tom. Yeah, yeah, you do a lot of gamers, obviously, and those are you know those are those are fun because those games are, are meaningful for guys, and then after the game, you know, you just talk to them, but. It's, you know, it's, it's different watching a high school game because if you're in, you know, if you're around fans, then pretty much everybody has a personal connection to the kids as opposed to, you know, an NBA game where everybody's just a fan in the stands mostly. So like if you strike up a conversation with somebody, chances are they're going to be able to tell you something interesting, you know, about a, about a a kid or, you know, a coach or whatever it might be. And that's kind of how you end up with stories. Like I I remember I wrote a story about, um, you know, one kid who was, uh, he was one of the best players in Western Mass, and he was homeless up until like his freshman year of, you know, like he was in between homes um, up until his like freshman year of high school. And it's like those are those are really important stories to write. But they're also like, I mean, everybody's got stories like everybody's got a story, like a background story. And they're mostly unexplored, you know, because, again, these guys aren't NBA players. They're just high school kids. So if you uh, if you're around the teams at all you're going to be able to come up with stuff like that just because the other people around you in the stands are able to tell you little stories here and there like that. Yeah. My, my, and like the level of access is just totally different in high school. Obviously yeah. I can remember like uh, my, the probably the, my favorite story I've ever written, or at least one of them, there was this team in Western mass. It was Chickabee comp. Um, they had, they had like the worst football team ever and they lost like, 20-something straight games. I don't know exactly what the total was, but they lost like two seasons worth of games in a row. And then all of a sudden, they're 0-4 this one year, and they just stopped losing. And they went to the – they ended up going to the Western Mass. It was called the Super Bowl back then. or Maybe it wasn't the Super Bowl. Maybe it was like the the, – 
the semifinals of the tournament, whatever it was, and they lost like a heartbreaking game but against the best team in the region. They were awesome. And I got to sit there and watch the post-game speeches. Like they invited me to come watch the coaches give post-game speeches. And these coaches were all so emotional about it. And like just the whole experience of losing and losing and losing. And then all of a sudden these kids like just found something. And I'll never forget um, after after that game, like I watched the speeches. I'm like crying because <laughs> as a high school sports athlete, like the last loss is like just devastating. I, my last loss, we lost by two points in the semifinals of our tournament. And like, I'll never forget the feeling of being in the locker room after the game and how tough it was. So I was like crying watching these speeches. And then on the way out, one of the fathers strikes up a conversation with me and he's like, you know, what's the worst part about this? He's like, I, I can't go watch them next weekend. And I was like, that's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. And, uh, but that was like, those were some of the coolest experiences because you got to, you got to be involved in the process. Whereas the Celtics, like, we'll never be in the locker room. We'll never see this. And to me, like, it's so relatable to, to see something like that and go through that. And so I, I tried to, I, and of course, like when you're covering high school, you have greater aspirations than covering high school forever. So you're trying to cover the high school like you would cover, you know, the NBA championships. And so that was those days were I miss those days in a lot of ways. Honestly, too, I, I think like as a journalist, like if you're covering high school sports, like it's it's such a valuable experience. Like like Jay said, like most high school sports writers are, are trying to get to something bigger. But like if you can learn how to you know, dig out of like, you know, some like state semifinal game, or if you can, you know, even just like learning how to like talk to people in a way that is, you know, that, that is so stilted and just like, you know, a list of questions, like you're just interviewing without, you know, without like an agenda. I think those are skills that are just insanely important. And I, I think that if you have, if you've covered high school sports, you will be a better professional sports writer as a result like almost almost automatically i always tell people high school sports are tougher to cover because you have to keep your own stats you have to like you have to a lot of times have a deadline that's like when the game ends you have to like there are just a ton of things like in the for football games sometimes you'd be out in a press box that's like minus 10 degrees (laughs) it's freezing (laughs) and and you're writing your story there i can remember one time i had to write a story i was in in the freezing rain like it was cold as hell freezing rain i'm outside on the phone i i didn't have time to write a story so i just finished the story while i was on the phone like i was i was literally coming (laughs) up with the story in my head and i didn't have wi-fi at the game this was years and years ago and so i'm i'm transcribing my story to the guy at the desk and just literally writing a story off the top of my head. I wasn't even writing. I was just dictating some story I was coming up with at the time. It was crazy. It was crazy, but it really does help you so much. I always tell whenever, like I talk to whenever, you know, I, anyone asks for advice, I'm always tell kids to just go out there and do whatever high school sports you can, whether it's football, basketball, volleyball, soccer, wrestling, whatever, just go, go do that and learn as much as you can from it because those lessons really are valuable so when you guys i guess both of you got the call up you got that first credential to go to td garden did you feel ready i mean is there still like a lot of nerves and just like oh this is the big time i can't can't fuck this up 
I didn't have too many nerves just because when I was there, I mean, I, w- I was there, if, if I remember the first time I was there, I think I was backing up Jay or I might have been, I might not have even been doing it for Mass Live. I might have been backing up B-Rob at Celtics Hub. Um, so like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like assigned, hey, you need to go track down a one-on-one interview with Rajon Rondo and, you know, come up with like some feature story <laughs> or anything like that. It was just like, hey, I don't know, go be in the locker room and go see if you can, uh, you know, go see if anything interesting is happening. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't like too nervous that way, but I will, you know, the first time that you walk into an NBA locker room and, and you see, you know, a star player of some kind, it is kind of a shock. Just like, oh, wow, that is, there's Rondo. He is, he's right there. That's, you know, that's kind of cool. I've told this story before. But my first game was, it was the first game I'd ever covered at any level, my first Celtics game. So I had never covered a high school game. I had never covered a college game. I'd never covered a Little League game. And I had a credential to a Celtics game. Um, I forget. <laughs> How'd you pull that I, off? <laughs> it was some guy had a blog for uh, one of the Connecticut newspapers, and he couldn't go one night. And so he asked me if if I wanted to take his place. I was like, Man, the Celtics will give a credential to anyone, huh? <laughs> no, so this was, I mean, yeah, but <laughs> I guess. Um, if, if if I was allowed at that time, then anybody would have. But th- this guy had a blog, and so I was filling in for him. Um, and so it was the Rashid Wallace year, so it must have been 2009, 2010. And I walked in to the Celtics locker room. I thought I was going to be nervous to meet the players and I wasn't like it was just a job at that point like that was what I was there to do was ask the players questions talk to the players be in the locker room whatever I got to the the media room and the old media room at TD Garden was like really small and there was a like little table in the middle where the basically the most most of the younger people went and then you'd have all the guys from the more established newspapers on the outside. And so I was sitting in the middle um, and Bob Ryan was like five feet away from me. No lie. My hand, my palms started sweating. Like <laughs> I was, I was like, my hands were like shaking a little bit and, and it was so weird, but it makes sense in retrospect. Like Bob Ryan was the one that made me the most nervous. It wasn't, you know, talking to KG. It wasn't talking to Paul Pierce. It wasn't talking to Rasheed Wallace. It wasn't seeing, Glenn Davis sit there with like a, I think he had a, <laughs> a cheeseburger before the game, like just <laughs> just chomping on a cheeseburger. But it was in the media room. I went and introduced, introduced myself to Bob Ryan, and that was the guy. And because to me, like that was what I wanted to be. You know, like Bob Ryan is the greatest legend, one of the greatest legends in sports writing history, certainly in NBA writing history. And that was who I wanted to be. I didn't want to be. Kevin Garnett anymore that that had long passed but Bob Ryan man I'll, I'll never forget how how wet my palms were I probably shook his hand and left him slimy for like two weeks <laughs> I respect the the willingness to just like go up and uh introduce yourself shake his hand if it was me I would probably just uh been shy and not said anything for like two months until he uh, recognized who I was that was pretty much my uh, that was pretty much my strategy with uh, the first times I was meeting Jackie McMullen I was just like oh, eventually I'll probably introduce myself or something and then i think she just kind of learned who i was through osmosis because i was around the team so much oh yeah that's the guy who doesn't talk to me (laughs) so you two were on the same the same squad for a while uh both working at masslive.com what was that working relationship like what's it like to work with a 
the kid who walks into every game and says, "What's up, motherfuckers?" <laughs> I mean, it was really good. I I felt like I learned a lot. No, slander him, Tom. Slander him. <laughs> slander um, me. Slander Jay. All right. Uh, no, I mean it was it was it was really good. I, I uh, Jay loves to uh, J- Jay loves to, to to grab all the biggest stories. So I was uh, I was really good at coming up with the smaller stories on the side, which to this day, big uh, you know, I, I write a lot of stories about Romeo Langford. I write a lot of stories about uh, you know guys who might not uh, you know might not always be the biggest story. So uh, yeah, I would say I, I learned a lot under Jay. I was probably awful to work with because so I I had never worked with anyone before, and and I've never I, been I out in public before. I didn't know how to treat people. No, but I was always, I, I was always a, a one man band, and and so Tom comes on, and I'm like, I don't want to fucking give up the, the like, like Ray John Rondo basket story. And so I was awful. I, to this day, I'm still working on it with Jared. Like I'm still. I get like possessive over story ideas or stories and it's it's embarrassing. It's it's bad and I know it and I'm not I'm not great at communicating. But Tom and I Tom Tom and I worked really well together. Uh, we didn't work work together for too long like you how long were you full time while I was still at Mass Live like were you was full time at any point? I was full time. I was less than a year um yeah. where I was doing uh yeah, but uh and then yeah, you uh you got your job with the Athletic and then I became like full-time Celtics beat. Cause I was, I was basically like general assignment with a, like a, with a heavy focus on Celtics. Like I was, yeah. you know, I mean, general assignment is generous. I know barely anything about any of the other sports, but like I was, <laughs> you know, I was like more, I, I you know, I might, I might be available to the high school team for a weekend or something like that. Um, you know, while, while Jay was working there and then, yeah, after, after he left, then it was, it was all Celtics all the time. Um, but yeah, no, I think Jay is being, I, I know I'm supposed to slander him. Jay is, is being very hard on himself. He was an extremely supportive dude, um, while I was, uh, sort of coming up and I would not have been, um, nearly as comfortable on the beat if I didn't have somebody like that around. So take that Packard. <laughs> yeah. Packard. <laughs> All right, Tom. So what would you say? We were talking about this kind of with B Rob last time. What do you would say your lane is on the Celtics beat? Everyone has like their different <laughs> types of story they write or like. We were talking about in terms of like ways people tweet during the game. What I, mean, is the, I feel like Jay Jay's got my lane. Jay, what's my lane? The it, the Rafi, yeah, big, big big Rafi lane. Um, what else you got? You got you uh, mentioned the smaller stories, like anything, young guys. Anytime yep. there's a high school or like Hoop Hall, you're gonna be there doing uh, guys in the area on the come up. That's definitely a Westerholm story. NCAA prospects. Um, yep. Yep. What, my favorite Westerholm. This is going to be slanderous. Um, Let's get but it. My favorite part of the Westerholm Twitter Twitter brand is when, like, let's say, like a twenty year old NBA player, second year, has a big game. Like it's his first big game. You'll do the victory lap. Like I believed in this guy <laughs> six years ago when I saw him at the hoop ball. That, that's a, that's my favorite part. And then he'll link to the story that where he did believe in him. <laughs> That is a thousand percent my lane. Like I, I will go back on my Twitter and be like, because I'll know, like most of these guys, like you know, I've got like a tweet back there somewhere where I said yeah. something He'll nice about him. So Michael like, Porter Jr. praise from two thousand. Man, who could have, <laughs> who could have seen this coming? That's that's extremely my brand. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Simons, uh, you know, big Anthony Simons victory lap taker. Um, yeah, 
No, I think that's I think that's probably definitely my lane is is young guys, guys who are coming up. I, I don't know. I've always found those guys really interesting. Um, and uh, I like victory laps. So. Who has been your kind of favorite players to, I guess, cover recently with the Celtics? I mean, I'm trying to think, Tom. Do you don't ask Brad a lot of questions in kind of in the scrum situations? I feel like you're more of a a lot of your stories come from like one on ones with uh, guys like Romeo or things like that. So is that you like kind of a conscious decision to like try to focus on like stuff that's your own rather than kind of the big scrum questions? I wouldn't say it's a focus. I, you know, it's it's definitely accurate. I, I like those a lot better. I um yeah, I mean, we, you know, we all like doing like the stories where we get really good stuff one on one. Those those are I think those are really fun to do. Um, but like my favorite guy, I mean, <laughs> my favorite guy recently is probably Jay's favorite guy as well, which was Marcus Morris. Um, I loved talking to that guy. Um, Mook. Mook. Just Mook to... has blocked me on Twitter. Still don't know what I did. Wow. That's a, that's a devastating hit. <laughs> I, once devastating. Talk, I once talked to Marcus Morris so much that one day he's like, man, why do you talk to me every day? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> Because you're, you're great, man. Because you always tell us the truth and you're honest. Because every day you tell me something useful. Pretty yeah. funny. So, All right. We're yeah. going to have to take this yeah, next like, part. No, why, why do you talk to me every day? We're going to have to take this next part out of the podcast. So uh, there's going to be a pause, but I have to tell a great story about Mook. And we're back. All right. Thank you for taking care of that break. Uh, any of the current players that you really like talking to? I, I said when you were first saying that, I thought you were going to talk about Time Lord because I know you're a huge Time Lord fan, Tom. I do love talking to him, man. He is he is hilarious. Um, you know, he's I would say he's dipped a little bit this season, though, just because like we never get to talk to him. Like he's been injured a lot. He didn't want to talk while he was injured. Um, you know, it's been, he hasn't been around very much, which is just sad because he's hilarious and like very open, but not in a way where he's consciously being open, just sort of in a way where he just starts talking. And I feel like I could literally be anybody, including a reporter, not a reporter, whatever. Like, and he's just kind of, you know, sharing his thoughts with whoever might be in the vicinity. Um, I'm also big on players who just casually swear in the middle of interviews. He's the best at casually swearing. (laughs) It's really good. He's he's big on inserting fuck into just <laughs> random sentences or shit. Shit. It's, Marcus Morris shit is, is a big casual. shit guy. Yeah, yeah just a, yeah. Yeah, the uh one of my favorite stories I wrote about him last year um was he was like I asked him about Time Lord and uh I asked him like, "Hey, have you seen this?" He's like, "Always, always." Instead of calling me Robert, they call me Time Lord, but I don't know where that shit came from. And it was just like it was a very generic <laughs> swear but it was like it was just perfect where it was uh he's he's delightful for that um i also really do enjoy talking to romeo just because he's he's a quirky dude like you have to get him going talking but he's like he's just a, he's just a strange individual um you know there's just like every, it's actually it's more fun to talk to other people about romeo because like they everybody's got their own like little romeo's a weirdo story and those are uh those are really fun but he's he's a fun guy to write about too just because he is strange Gotta like the strangos. Mm-hmm. All right, I, th- I think we're we're coming to our end. No one wants to listen to uh, us talk for more than an hour, so I think we'll try to end here. In terms of craziest or favorite memory, just being on the beat doesn't have to be a game, but it could be a game related. Could just be a, the wildest story you've heard. Could just be Jay King saying something stupid while you guys were both in uh, Indiana or something. 
But what is the wildest thing or thing that's, that that's comes That's a trick most... question. I don't say anything stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, put me on the spot with that one. Yeah. Um, well, we uh, there was there was one time where we were all out as like a, b- a bunch of beat writers were out, and actually, all right, this isn't really like a story. It's more just like something that I've noticed. I feel like Jay gets approached by people on the street like all the time when we're out like if, if ever like if there's a group of us out and there's just like some random dude like you know asking for money or just like us you know some guy who's you know going through uh going through something whatever it might be like i feel like jay's always the one who gets confronted like i remember one time in indiana i think um <laughs> a bunch of us were out and this guy like I, I don't even remember what he said but he walked up and got right in jay's face and we were all trying to figure out if jay was about to just get like punched if he was about to like get in a fight with some random dude, and the guy just wanted to say something encouraging to Jay, no idea who he was or anything. Um, I don't even remember what he said, but just like it was, you're doing it was great, like, man. Keep on going. If I recall, it was kind of uplifting. Like, do you remember this, Jay? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he he came over and, like you said, it was like he got like, right like, in your face. Yeah, he he like he walked over and it was weird. Like he made eye contact the whole time. Like we knew he was coming to approach us and it, it you, was just specifically weird. you he was not coming to approach me or any of the other other people around it was you he wanted to like come and tell you something specifically and he did yeah and he just he just told me to like have a nice day or something like, <laughs> it was just really nice i believe in your but spirit <laughs> we, we were all shook we were yeah. all shook and I mean, I can I can think of like other examples like that where it's it's for some reason it's always Jay who gets uh, who gets approached. But I I don't as far as like a, a specific story, uh, I would have to I would have to think for a little bit. I'll maybe I'll tweet something out with the uh, the episode. Yeah, I did definitely put you on the spot there, but I'd have to confirm your things about Jay. One time, me and Jay were walking in San Francisco, and a man on a leash <laughs> oh, man, just tried to fight story. him. <laughs> just what? started this, barking at him. This dude was dressed up like a dog, and uh, bark. He was like asking for change, him. and both me and Jay were like, "Sorry." And then he said something to Jay, and Jay uh, clapped back, and then the man just started like barking at him. So, so the dude, so this is what happened. This dude asked for money, and like we were, we were nice about it. We didn't have any money, and we told him, "Sorry, man. Like, hope you have a nice night." And he he was literally like in a dog suit and barking at us. And uh, I'm pretty sure he was on then, a leash. And then he said. Like fuck you! Like when when we couldn't give him money, he just started torturing us, and uh, I I thought Sam and I were gonna gonna get assaulted by a man wearing a, a dog suit in the streets of San Francisco. That was that was a crazy experience. That was that was weird. Like we just didn't have any money, and he he lit into us because we couldn't couldn't pay him. For wearing his dog suit, Jay, just, you just bring him. bring it out in people. It must be your face. So yeah. I don't I, like I don't have one as good as that, but I do have a good like tour story. That's that's crazy. If that's uh, oh, a perfect way to end it. I like right, it. Like it. So this I, I, I told this on Twitter one time, but it is really like one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. I when I when we were on tour, we were in Kearney, Nebraska, and there was like just a random little town where we'd gotten booked a show in the middle of the week, so we had to go play it. And we pull up to this guy's like venue and he was outside. He was out. The, the owner of the venue was outside shirtless um, grilling for some reason. He's like, all right, pull your van around back. <laughs> and in, in the back, he had a little kiddie pool. So we get through a little, like, little way through the show. This guy's clearly a weirdo. He's like carrying a trumpet around. He never puts on a shirt. Just a bizarre individual. 
Um, and halfway through the show, he comes running into the venue carrying a revolver and pointing it at everybody and saying, this show's done. Everybody's got to get out of here. Like literally Jesus. pointing it at people. This show's done. Turned out what had happened was one of the bands had run over and broken his kiddie pool. Um, and he was just oh, livid damn. that they had broken his kiddie pool. So the dude comes in waving a revolver around, pointing it at like kids, you know, like 16, 17 year olds who were all there, pointing it at the bands like you guys all got to get the hell out of here. And, uh, you know, like that, um, that was a wild one. And then like later on, our vocalist had to uh, actually like go back to um, Kearney, Nebraska, because the guy was on trial for, uh, you know, threatening everybody. That's with, assault, uh, brother. With a yeah. 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 Like it was, <laughs> assault, <brother. laughs> it was, I would have. I would have honestly wondered if I had dreamed that scenario, like because of details like the trumpet being in his hand, except that our vocalist really did have to legally go back and uh, testify against this guy who was waving a gun around. That's crazy. And it was an old timey revolver, which made it even stranger, like a little. Yeah, it wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't running in with like a Glock or something like that. It was just like, nope, just like a six shooter of some kind. Man, what did he use? That you just shit it on. You just shit it on our dog story. You were like, oh, yeah, you, you think this dog story is <laughs> oh, a yeah, good one? Escalate this with more revolver violence. trumpet shirtless, like, man. <laughs> but like, it's kind of cheating to go with tour stories because that's like the Wild West. Like NBA situations are all kind of controlled. It's like, oh, like, you know, my crazy story. One time there was an earthquake in Vegas. Like, you know, those are like the crazy like tour is tour is different because everybody's everybody's a wacko when you're on the road. So <laughs> everybody's a wacko when you're on the road. Hopefully, Tom, uh, you'll post some links to some hardcore music that the, the fo <laughs> fine folks can listen to. I can I can definitely do that. All right. Well, look out for that. Tom from uh, MassLive.com. Thank you for joining us here on Anything is Potable. To the listener gods out there, thank you for listening to uh, our continued interview series as we continue on through quarantine. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate it five stars, do all the things that uh, podcast listeners are supposed to do. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode of Anything is Potable.